All right. So, yeah, this is like an anecdote that has to do with. Oh my god, what happened? Every time I wear anything, I spill food on. Oh no. <laughs> you might just be able to wash it. The tragedy of the comments. On January 21st of this year, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, triumphantly tweeted out, California created 25% of the nation's new jobs last month. But before we celebrate, the question we have to ask ourselves is, did California also create 25% of the nation's new housing? The answer, definitely not. The Tragedy of the Commons is a housing podcast aimed at exploring solutions to the housing crisis in California. My name is Delaney Faraday, I'm your host, and I'm about to introduce my friend Kira. Hello. Who helped me record this podcast. Hi, I'm Kira. I am one of Delaney's friends. We met at Cal Poly. I'm about to graduate as well. And Kira doesn't know anything about city planning, which is my major. Kira studies interactive art and engineering. And to start off this podcast series, I wanted to begin with missing middle housing, which is a concept that is going to be explained later on in the podcast, but is one of the proposed solutions to the housing crisis that people are really exploring right now. And so in this podcast, I'm going to talk about all of the things that I think are good with missing middle housing and the things that are not so good with missing middle housing. And Kira is going to help me do that. And I'm going to go back and forth between the conversation that I had with Kira, where I tell her what I learned and she responds and asks questions and audio clips of me going on the soapbox about these concepts. So without further ado, here it is. I hope you like it. So I don't really know anything about middle housing, but I'm excited to learn. (laughs) Okay, okay. She's excited to learn. Cool. Okay. So do you know what the tragedy of the commons is? I have definitely heard that word. Um, I'm going to guess. Does it have to do something with France? (laughs) (laughs) It does not have to do with France, but it sounds like it would have to do with France. The tragedy. I can't even do a French accent. Uh, the tragedy of Le Comment. <laughs> book written about it. There's definitely, there's definitely a book. It, it's like an economics concept, though. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Econo- I've taken four economics classes. Oh my God, really? Two in high school, two in college. Oh, well, yeah. I've taken zero economics classes. <laughs> I like. I should. No, I literally like took a women's and gender studies class at a different college. And like it transferred over as my economics credit. I don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like should take economics, honestly. Yeah. So the first city and regional planning class that I took, we actually talked about the tragedy of the commons on the first day. And um, I had no idea what it was. And like the professor was like, you know, the tragedy of the commons, you all know. And I was like, no, but I like didn't say that out loud. And he's like, OK, I'm going to like refresh your memory for those of you who like need it. And I was like, oh, thank God. And so he, he wrote the statement on the whiteboard. He wrote the tragedy of the commons. And then he wrote like a circle below it and labeled it the commons. And he was like, imagine this is an open pasture and anyone is like free to like graze their cows on it. 
and he drew like three different cows and three different owners on the property and they were all like he drew like smiley faces on like the owners and the cows because they were they were all happy they didn't have to like there was no regulations to like get in the way of them grazing their cows and he was like the benefits are enjoyed by each individual but the impacts are also equally shared so what's stopping one of the cow owners from introducing like five more cows than the other cow owners and then he drew like a bunch of different cows on like one side of the circle to like show that basically and then he continued and he like finished and he was like eventually like the cows would overgraze the land and that would lead to depletion of resources for everybody and then he drew like frowny faces on all of the <laughs> on all of the you know cows and the farmers and he was like this is all to show the importance of like why we have laws why we have regulations you know because it's to protect the resources that are otherwise going to be exploited by the individual if that makes sense does that make sense even more specifically like shared resources like community resources yes. in a way but yeah. then preventing not everybody suffering right yes. yeah like the the goal of law and like restrictions basically is so that you know one person doesn't take advantage of other people's shared resource i guess and i remember like at first i was like that's weird like i don't think people are like like that inherently and like is that really like a good enough is that like an overgeneralization or whatever so yeah i was like really upset about it for a little bit and i was like i think people should just be able to do whatever they want with their land and like everything should be a shared resource and stuff like i was like why do why do barriers need to exist in that sense i guess but i obviously that's you know thinking very surface and it also just like really makes sense you know when you think about like capitalism yeah capitalism obviously is the system where individuals are incentivized to like take as many resources for themselves as possible to make their own individual wealth. And so if this is the framework that we're working in, we can't have this like shared resource because everyone's incentivized to take advantage of that resource, you know? So that's why you have to have laws in a, in a society that has this system, that works within the system. Anyways. I was trying to come up with my senior project and I was like thinking about this concept because, you know, housing is kind of, when you think about the housing crisis, it's kind of like the misuse of space. Like there's a lack of resources, which is like the houses, right? And the commons, so to speak, which is just like land has been overrun with like expensive single family housing developments and these like sprawling wealthy neighborhoods have like over time depleted the resources which i said is the houses from the land or the commons and so you know how do we how can we regulate the misuse of public space in this way but within the bounds of the society which is capitalism so in this podcast named The Tragedy of the Commons, <laughs> I set out to kind of like explore the ways lawmakers and like advocates and academics have tried their hand at like solving the housing crisis. And I'm about to like explain to Kira what I learned about missing middle housing, like how I got interested in it and like why I'm making this podcast. But first, I'm going to explain what the housing crisis is in California and where it came from. So what is the housing crisis? Well, unfortunately, it's not news. 
non-California anyway. And some argue it began in San Francisco in the 50s with the first anti-growth opposition to freeway development in the city. Ironically, the anti-sprawl gusto behind this movement went from stop sprawl to stop everything. Next, in 1978, the infamous Prop 13 capped property taxes, making new housing cost more in services than it does in taxes. Coupled with the persistent labor and construction shortage following the Great Depression and the buyout of tens of thousands of homes by private equity firms, new housing in California over time exclusively translated to luxury housing. Bringing us to today, where the middle and lower classes are kept out of the housing picture. Basically, this is all to say there's just like a lot of barriers that like are now in the way of people being able to like have housing that's not super expensive. I, I missed why the private equity firms are the ones to have these houses in the first place. Like, why are they the right. middleman? There are these corporations that um, buy, can buy like tens of thousands of houses at one time as opposed to like one person, you know, like they just have more power in that way. And so they're buying these like multiple houses and then selling them for for a lot of money. And this has just like led to a lot of the housing that's available now to be unaffordable for like a lot of for even like middle class people. And as we know, population in California is exponentially growing. According to the 2020 census, California added 3.2 times more people than housing units over the last 10 years. And with the way that cities are expanding and housing development is lagging, we can only assume that this issue will grow. But thankfully, over the years, experts, advocates, and academics alike have dedicated themselves to finding ways out of this pickle. However, there is contention as to which solution is the best solution to the housing crisis, like which solution best addresses affordability, or which solution best addresses racism, which solution best addresses environmental concerns? And is there one solution that addresses all of the above? The answer is not so simple, and this podcast is determined to emphasize this, showing that the issue is multifold and will require many solutions. I was just trying to see, like, what missing middle housing, like, looks like. You know what I mean? Like, what, like, yes, there's this missing middle housing. And how do we get more housing to be built for these, for the middle class, basically? And like, is that going to solve the housing crisis? You know? No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just, it's a rhetorical question. No, I'm not asking you. Sorry. I'm just trying to explain like what the podcast is about. So you have context. This is just like, I'm just trying to give you context right now. It's actually not even about like what's causing the crisis that I'm exploring in this podcast. It's like solutions to the crisis. And so one of these solutions, yeah, solution based, <laughs> solution based. Yes, Kira. Yes. So, yeah. So I was just trying to give you context for like what has created this like lack of housing. And there's a variety of solutions. Like there's no one silver bullet that's going to solve this crisis. And it's not like this housing style is going to solve like all of the inequity that people are facing when it comes to like being able to afford a place to live. That's not true you know so it's it's just one part of this like bigger solution which is going to take like a a bunch of little solutions but yeah like going into the podcast I was like because I I, like found out about missing middle housing and I was like oh my god this sounds like the perfect solution because which I haven't even explained to you really what 
the actual housing thing is, and I'm going to get into that. Um, maybe I should do that right now, actually. Okay, 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 okay. Sorry. So, let's see. Okay. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the many solutions to the housing crisis, missing middle housing. So, missing middle is a term coined by Daniel Paralek who is an architect, the founder of Optico's Design, and co-author of the book Missing Middle Housing. And in this book, he describes Missing Middle as, quote, a range of multi-unit housing types compatible in scale with single-family homes that help meet the growing demand for walkable urban living, respond to shifting household demographics, and address the need for more housing choices at different price points. So, like, picture a three- to four-story house and each floor a different residence lives on so like one family lives on the first floor one family lives on the second floor and so on and so forth the theory is putting more multifamily housing in circulation that looks like single-family homes will satisfy both those who enjoy the single-family aesthetic and those in need of housing at a lower price point and this is because people in opposition to higher density argue that it will ruin neighborhood character, which is another way of saying the white picket fence style development of suburban neighborhoods. Because the houses are still small. It's not like in a whole apartment complex. It's yes. just like a three to four family home. Right. Yeah. Okay. And some people are like, oh, I don't want apartments in my neighborhood. You know, it's like, I want my neighborhood to feel like a neighborhood instead of like a city, I guess. Um, yeah. Um, so some of the older houses I've been in, like Quinn's house in San Francisco, that was originally made to be like one of these four family homes. And I've, I feel like they, they were at once more common and now less so. Is that, is that true? Yes, that's really true. And that was, that's actually how I started off my research was like, how did it, how, how did it like get to a point where that's not a thing anymore? And how is it something that we like kind of all as a society miss like we like know this style of housing and we see in older houses but like why isn't it is it a thing anymore and Daniel Paralek actually talks about this in his book the first of many arguments for missing middle is that it provides a housing style that we know and we miss so there's a history of duplex triplex fourplex etc that I didn't know about prior to going on this housing rabbit hole and it dates back to the 1800s What we now know as granny flats, which are defined as self-contained living spaces located on the grounds of a single-family home, evolved from dower houses. These detached or attached units were intended to accommodate the widowed queen or the dowager. So if the queen was widowed, um, she would then live with her daughter and whoever her daughter marries on a separate unit on the property because women couldn't own property at that time. Is it connected to the dowry? Yes, yeah, yeah. So dowry is like a thing, yeah. It's like the thing that you pay to like have, you know, have like property over a woman basically, which is really, really fun. You love that. By the 19th century, dower houses were coined granny flats. What? No, it is really weird, like granny flats. Why is it called that? on the elders that we have in America (laughs) you get like condemned to this little space and we're gonna call it a granny flat you old person and the practice of communal living continued into the early 20th century but a housing boom followed the end of World War II 
to accommodate returning soldiers and their growing families. And so they suddenly had to like give families bigger spaces, I guess. And so just like there's like just there's just like a demand for like that sort of housing style in the market instead of like these multi-family properties that were less like family centric, I guess. Um, probably like smaller in size too. So it just, yeah, it didn't accommodate the the family style at the time. Right. Right. right okay. Right. And as a result post-war architecture focused on single-family housing that conformed with the newly minted Euclidean zoning. And Euclidean zoning, in just like simple terms, is um, zoning based on like the type of use. So like you're not gonna see like a warehouse in like a residential area, you know what I mean? Like it's in a neighborhood there's houses and those are residential units and stuff. And like in a city's downtown there's like retail, you know, like their zoning is just like the allocation of land based on like the type of like building that you know the the jurisdiction wants to see so anyway that's what the euclidean zoning is and that's why you have neighborhoods separate from like retail spaces separate from warehouses and stuff and why did euclidean zoning come into style basically yeah so i don't know a ton about the history of euclidean zoning in detail but what I kind of have learned from school is it started out as like a separation of uses because you wanted to have your home away from your workplace and you wanted to have warehouses away from, you know, neighborhoods. And it was sold as protections against, or I guess for safety and welfare of the community and that sort of thing. That's how it kind of was marketed towards people at the time and if you think about like the world war ii kind of era republican motherhood type families where you have like your own plot of land and like having your family live there and like um the woman takes care of the house and the 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 man like goes and does his like work in a neighboring city it's it's this whole idea of like separating the family from the workplace and um also just like the value of land you know like you've made it if you have like your own plot of land and like the bigger the land the more you've made it and the more you can separate yourself from people the more you've made it and once the newly minted euclidean zoning was introduced the prohibition of adu development followed and the pre-1940s duplexes fourplexes and courtyard neighborhoods suddenly began to vanish yeah, this is just like all to say that there's a his- there is a history of these houses and that's why you, you know, are familiar with them probably, but you don't see these new developments to- in the same way. Can I ask a t- question? It might be a bit of a tangent, but did the Euclidean zoning affect the walkability of cities? Yes. 100%. And this segues to one of the main arguments behind Missing Middle which is Euclidean zoning has led to the degradation of a housing style that we know and we miss. And zoning must be altered to accommodate housing styles that lead to more walkable, affordable communities. But people are very critical of this. And there's a lot of reasons why there's, you know, critiques with it. Um, and when I first started looking into Missing Middle, I was like, "That's that sounds great. Like, get rid of zoning and get rid of, that's the barrier, right? And like, why why even have that, you know, without like, what's the point of that? If it's just causing all of these, these issues that we now have, which is like the lack of housing. And then also like these racist old zoning laws. And after looking into it, 
I can say I'm still a supporter of it, but I, I have like a more nuanced take, which is like, it only kind of addresses this one issue, which is that we need more diverse housing styles. And it also addresses that there's a lack of middle-class housing. I'm curious what the dissenting opinions were on abolishing Euclidean housing. Yes. Okay. I will get into that very, very shortly. I can get into it now, but I was kind of like, okay. Okay. So part of what makes Parallax's approach so interesting is that he is consistent in steering clear of terms and ideas normally associated with affordable housing, like density or multifamily or upzoning in order to appeal to the demographic Missing Middle is targeted toward. Affordable housing has become like a bad word, basically, because there's not like a lot of incentive to build affordable housing because housing as it is, is just expensive no matter what kind of a sab- what kind of housing it is. Money, yes. Basically, it's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They don't make enough money with affordable housing. This tactic has inadvertently led critics to consider Missing Middle housing a non-comprehensive approach to the housing crisis as it only focuses on one part of the puzzle, which is private development. And so the way that Missing Middle is going about getting around that label of affordable is calling it attainable housing and like specifically marketing it for middle to upper middle class people. I think like senior citizens who are looking to like downsize their houses after like their families have left are looking for more of like a multifamily uh, like housing style. Or like think of a set of parents who are looking to have their, their kid like live on their property, but like not in the house, like in an additional unit on the house. So who exa- exactly does it not address? Like I get it obviously doesn't help out poor people, but if we're talking about middle housing specifically, can you clarify who exactly it's not including? Well, that's, I'm saying it doesn't include poor people. Okay. Yeah. So you just want a more fully encompassing solution rather than- Yes. Yeah. Like, it's not just, like, obviously missing middle is very specific to the middle class and stuff, but missing middle comes from this, like, larger umbrella of, like, anti-Euclidean um, zoning, pro-housing movements, I guess, where, which are all kind of concerned with, like, solving the housing crisis so it's like one of these it's one of these parts of like these other movements that are that are aimed at solving the housing crisis and they're all like pro-housing movements but i think i think there's a mistake made with how much that can actually solve these greater inequities i guess and missing middle critics are quick to point this out in a review of missing middle housing published in the journal of planning and education and research Connor accordingly says that missing middle housing works within, quote, popular filtering theory. And this theory is that private markets will eventually provide low-income housing through the process of deterioration of high-income homes. And in the context of missing middle, this means that medium-income multi-unit homes will eventually filter down into the low-income sector. Additionally, by making housing more affordable for the middle class, subsidies may be freed up for low-earning renters and buyers. So essentially, Missing Middle could work to relieve pressure on housing markets experiencing displacement, which indirectly aids affordability by keeping people in their homes. And all of this sounds fine, but the timeline seems hefty for those playing the waiting game. You have to put yourself in the, in the you know, citizen's shoes because some people are like, who cares about, you know, like I don't, those laws, yeah, they, they need to come, up, come undone and stuff, but like, 
I need housing now. Like that takes forever. This, the legislative process is just like really long term, you know? Accordingly expands on this in his critique. Accordingly writes, quote, Parallax framing situates missing middle housing as a means of appeasing concerned NIMBY homeowners by preserving neighborhood character with inoffensive built forms while glossing over the ways in which such concerns have been used to prevent disadvantaged groups from accessing housing. He expands on the point by saying what we all know. Quote, formulating this issue as being the simple aversion of well-off suburbanites coded in the book as community members to certain built forms sidesteps the reality that often objections to more affordable development are not so much about the building's architecture as they are about the people who will be occupying it. Are you are you concerned with the fact that if we put this solution into play and people are saying, oh, wow, like middle housing is being fixed, then people forget about all the poor people. It's almost like it's too overarching in an effort to dismiss and almost hide away certain like fallacies. And then because it's been fixed, people aren't going to invest time and money anymore into this issue. Is that kind of a concern? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you, that was way better than I was trying to explain. <laughs> that's exactly what I was trying to get at. I'm I'm curious if there's people out there who... Like, I wonder, are the laws going to come first or the housing? And, like, which... Because I feel like it's usually a cycle, back and forth cycle. But right now, what are, is there an opinion about that? I think a lot of like a lot of people in planning share this opinion. It's like the laws come first because you have to undo the barrier first and then the housing will be a lot easier to create, you know. And that's a very linear way of thinking of it. But it's I mean, it makes sense, you know. I guess that makes sense for planning because it just takes, there are so many rules and regulations to housing. So it makes sense that in planning, laws tend to come first. The whole thing is interesting too because the class was focused on like teaching teaching why environmental laws are important and why laws need to exist and stuff. Um, so that doesn't happen. But now we're at this point of like, we're talking about like Euclidean zoning where that's a law that's like, is not doing that, you know, is not regulating. It's, re- it's regulating, but it's regulating in a way that we're, suffering from you know so there's some there's a whole other discussion of like the rationale behind laws and stuff that you kind of have to explore like it's not just the laws that are obviously gonna that are gonna solve everything too like there's it's not as it's not simple like that you know it's like which ones are the right laws to actually implement Mm -hmm. and how you distinguish those and it just goes to show that like a law that's like and I kind of explore this later on in the podcast, but like banning single family zoning is not like a, a blanket solution to to making these shared spaces available. You know, it's like that's one part of it. But then you how do you now you have to create these houses that are like in the in the development style that will promote this sort of living and stuff. And like, how do you get low income people into those houses? Like what's going to prevent people from just like who have a lot of money, like buying up those new properties. So the free market does just need a lot of regulation so that we can like have this like more shared market, which is so interesting. So we have a lot to talk about, but like, anyway, that's where we're we're starting. And yeah, I can't wait to get into it. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Thanks, Kira. And so the conversation continues. We really just scratched the surface. And like I hope what was clear from the podcast, 
Missing middle housing is in no way a save-all solution to the housing crisis. It doesn't pretend to be. And that's why in the following episodes, we're going to explore the alternatives that need to come with it. Again, I'm Delaney Faraday. Thanks for listening.